Hola and welcome to Catholic View on this Thursday evening. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Sheila Pires. Coming up in today's Women Feature program, we take a look at the African Women Leaders Network. But first, as usual, I bring you up to date with some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. So do stay tuned. Hi, I'm Archbishop Peter Wells, Apostolic Nuncio. Thank you for listening to Radio Veritas, the good news for a change. And in your headlines this Thursday evening, visibility of women vital for interfaith education. Faith leaders appeal for South Sudan, Northeast Nigeria and Somalia. And UNICEF campaign highlights role of super dads in children's development. Good evening once again, I'm Sheila Pirish. A plenary assembly of the Pontifical Council for Interreligious Dialogue is underway in the Vatican from June 7th to 9th. At the opening session on Wednesday, Council President Cardinal Jean-Louis Turin noted how much still needs to be done in some countries to defend women's rights and stamp out shameful violence against women. Among the keynote speakers is Dr. Claire Amos, Program Coordinator for Interreligious Dialogue and Cooperation at the World Council of Churches. She spoke to Philippa Hitchin of Vatican Radio about her concerns over visibility and inclusive language, beginning with the title of the plenary session, The Role of Women in Educating Towards Universal Fraternity. One of the interesting things is that I think here English and French and Italian perhaps differ, but to an English ear, the very word fraternity has got a gender bias to it. Uh, so there is, this is, I, I will be giving my paper tomorrow, and one of the things that I implicitly raise is the fact that uh, the very word fraternity includes a gender bias. How important is inclusive language, would you say, not just within the Christian tradition, but again across the broader spectrum of faith communities? I've become more and more conscious that it is important. I think, in a sense, my adulthood has spanned the time when it was quite okay to talk about men and assume that included women. And now it's very much, I think, in English, not okay. And I think it is partly because what you're doing when you you make those kind of linguistic assumptions is you're saying that what is male is normative. And in a sense, that the female has to be somehow derived from and, and seen as a secondary to the male. And it may not be necessarily the intention, but that's how it comes across to people these days. For the first time ever in 2013 at the 10th Assembly, the person who was appointed to be moderator 
of the World Council of Churches. That's formerly the highest position in the World Council of Churches. It's an honorary position in the sense that it's unpaid, but it's, it's a very key position, is a woman, an Anglican laywoman, Dr. Agnes Abwam from Kenya, um, who is doing a very important and a very good job in, in that role as moderator. That was, I think, quite a breakthrough. One of the things I'm bringing to the meeting is the importance of visibility of women at, at formal meetings. That isn't to say that formal dialogue meetings are are the only ways of doing dialogue, or even necessarily the most important ways of doing dialogue. But actually, I think if you don't have women represented in those meetings, you are actually implicitly making a statement. Residents of the Catholic Archdiocese of Mombasa in Kenya, led by religious women, have held a peaceful procession through the city in a bid to draw attention to the importance of peaceful campaigns and peaceful general elections due in August this year. The procession themed peaceful and credible elections, leaders of integrity, was organized by the Association of Sisterhoods of Kenya and was flagged off by Archbishop Martin Kivuva of the Catholic Archdiocese of Mombasa. Lesotho's main opposition leader, Thomas Tabani, has won the country's election but failed to gain an outright majority. He is now working to form a coalition government. Tabani's party, the All Basutu Convention, won 48 parliamentary seats. His arch-rival, current Prime Minister, Pakalita Musisili, secured only 30 seats. I spoke to Mr. Bui Mohapi, the Executive Secretary of the Lesotho Catholic Commission for Justice and Peace, about the latest developments following the election results. Definitely going to be a coalition government because uh, Tabane, though he's, he's having uh, 48 seats, but he's not able to, to form a government. He, he needs other parties to, to make 61 or 60 plus. So for, for him to do that, then he has uh, joined uh, as they had before the elections uh, uh, announced. He has, uh, has been joined by the Basutu National Party and the uh, Alliance of Democrats and the RCL, which is a reformed Congress of Lesotho. So those, those four parties have come together to, 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 to form a, a coalition government. This morning, the Catholic bishop and together with other leaders of the church, they facilitated a, a meeting on which all political parties came together to sign in agreement of the or in acceptance of the result, election results. I would want to really thank the the Imbiza, the, the regional church, the Imbiza, the SACBC, for their contribution to, to our, our observer mission. Uh, the general secretary of the SACBC and uh, deputy Father, Father Patrick Rajaketsi were here to, to, to join the, 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 the Lesotho Catholic Bishops Conference uh, observer teams. And they did a very, very magnificent work, and we are very grateful of their of their support and their their, their presence during the elections. And we are grateful to the to the church in Southern Africa, to the bishops of Southern Africa as well. And we are very, 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 very grateful for their support. During a recent visit to the Central African Republic, CAR, a senior UN official heard passionate demands for an end to impunity in the country. The Assistant Secretary General for Human Rights, Andrew Gilmer, said people there were desperate for an end to their tormented history. The main reason I was in the country was to launch a mapping report that OECHR and the UN mission, MINUSCA, has been working on. 
for the past year. It, it covers a 13-year period from 2003 to the end of 2015. During that time, the most appalling human rights violations took place. Killings, mass rape, torture, burning of villages, recruitment of children, untold miseries. And I'm going to go into the details of, of how ghastly some of those crimes have been. There is fear on the part of people that I spoke to that um, there have not been arrests of the, the main authors of the worst human rights violations. So they feel that there has been impunity so far, and since there are killings still going on, people are concerned that it could get worse, and I think they have reason to believe that. Having said that, MINUSCA, the UN peacekeeping force, is doing really a remarkable job in reducing the violence and reducing tensions. One of the things we are pushing for is a follow-up of the Bangui Forum of 2015, so a national process, was that there should be a Truth and Reconciliation Commission, whereby justice at an individual level can be reached, whereby people can come forward and testify to what they saw or admit to what they did. And therefore, this is something we are encouraging the authorities to proceed with. That would be a, a major way of advancing individual justice. Are you hopeful that things will get better? I am hopeful that this report and the follow-up to that and the mood that I hope this has, the mood change that I hope this will provoke, will bring reconciliation and it will bring, therefore, peace. Having said that, the international community must be very vigilant that the situation contains tensions that, that could explode at any minute. So although, yes, I am hopeful, in the short term there could be, there could be bad things happening. We, we mustn't uh, hide from that fact. The international community cannot afford to abandon hope for a better, more united Libya, the UN representative for the country told the Security Council on Wednesday. Martin Kobler was updating members on the ongoing crisis in Libya, which has been wrecked by instability and political divisions since 2011. DNPN reports from UN News. Libyan leaders signed a political agreement back in December 2015 aimed at bringing stability to their country and creating a unified government. But as Mr. Kobler told the council, concluding an accord is one thing, implementing it another. Still, he said, there is overwhelming national and international support for the Libyan political agreement. He added that a roadmap is being developed to allow limited amendments to the deal. Mr. Kobler called for ambassadors to support Libyan-led efforts aimed at finding a durable solution, warning that without progress on the political side, the symptoms of the conflict will only worsen. Since March, 65 civilians were killed during armed conflict, some by indiscriminate bombing. We cannot be numbed to the suffering this conflict is causing. We cannot compromise the basic principles that unite us, that make us human. Nor can we afford to abandon our hopes and our desire for a better, more united Libya. The UN official stated that overall, Libyans desire peace, security and a better future for their children.
Faith leaders in Canada are calling for a concrete response to famines in four separate countries. The Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops, together with other Christian, Jewish, Muslim, Sikh and Baha'i faith leaders, are asking for action to tackle the famines that are wreaking death, suffering and displacement in the world today. Linda Bodoni reports from Vatican Radio. Noting that the United Nations in February this year declared there are 20 million people including 1.4 million vulnerable children at risk of death in South Sudan, Yemen, northeast Nigeria and Somalia. As a result of ongoing armed conflicts and severe droughts, the religious leaders have issued a unified cry from the heart, calling for a threefold response from the faithful. Pray, give and speak out. Prayers for the suffering people, but also prayers for peace for government leaders and for humanitarian workers. Financial contributions to be made through aid agencies. And people, they say, must be better informed as regard the crises, and they must contact policymakers and political leaders so that their voices of concern will be taken into account. The religious leaders univocally single out the protracted violence in the four countries as the leading cause of the current humanitarian crisis and say that now is the moment for Canadian leaders to speak out clearly and consistently to end the violence taking place in those nations. Canada's voice, they insist, must be heard in this dire moment, especially as it celebrates 150 years of confederation. And finally, football legend David Beckham, X-Men actor Hugh Jackman and tennis icon Novak Djokovic are among stars from the entertainment and sports worlds that are taking part in an initiative by the UN's Children's Fund, UNICEF, which celebrates the role fathers have in a child's development. Dian Pan reports from UN News. The campaign invites families to post photos and videos on Instagram and Twitter showing what it takes to be a super dad using the hashtag early moments matter. A child's early years represent a critical once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to shape brain development, according to Pia Brito, UNICEF Chief of Early Childhood Development. She said the more fathers, mothers, and other family members shower their babies and young children with love, play, good nutrition, and protection, the better these children's chances are of reaching optimal health happiness, and learning ability. The Super Dads campaign has been launched ahead of Father's Day, celebrated in more than 90 countries. And that was a look at some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. You're still listening to Catholic View on Radio Veritas 576 AM, otherwise on 870 DSTV Bouquet. You can also listen to us via our website. Simply log on to radioveritas.co.za. I'm Sheila Pirsch. Coming up next is our Women Feature. Women on the African continent are generally treated as second-class citizens. They do not enjoy the same positions as men. We say to girls, you can have ambition, but not too much. You should aim to be successful, but not too successful. Otherwise, you will threaten the man. 
Some men refuse to invest in the education of their daughters because they say they will soon get married. Because I am female, I'm expected to aspire to marriage. I'm expected to make my life choices, always keeping in mind that marriage is the most important. But why do we teach girls to aspire to marriage and we don't teach boys the same? We raise girls to see each other as competitors, not for jobs or for accomplishments, which I think can be a good thing, but for the attention of men. Feminist, a person who believes in the social, political and economic equality of the sexes. Women on the Forefront, a program dedicated to women who are making a difference. Welcome back to our Women Feature. Today we focus on African Women Leaders Network, a new platform launched to galvanize and boost women's leadership of Africa. Following a three-day high-level Women Leaders Forum for Africa's Transformation, which took place at the United Nations headquarters in New York from the 31st of May to the 2nd of June, UN Women, the African Union Commission and the Permanent Mission of Germany have launched the African Women Leaders Network, a groundbreaking initiative that seeks to enhance the leadership of women in the transformation of Africa with a focus on governance, peace and stability. Now, to find out more about the network, I spoke to Ms. Leti Chiwara, UN Women Representative to Ethiopia, African Union and Economic Commission for Africa. The meeting was actually a, a high-level women leaders forum for Africa's transformation, which had the main objective of launching of an African women leaders network. Both the UN, uh, UN Women, and the AU, that's the African Union, have galvanized similar platforms for the empowerment of women. What is different about this meeting that you had? The African Union and the UN Women have indeed over the years been galvanizing around women's leadership. Um, but of course, there have been also a number of uh, initiatives and networks on the continent to advance women's leadership. However, with the Agenda 2063 of the African Union and also with the Global Sustainable Development Goals, both organizations, UN Women and the African Union, have seen the need for us to consolidate the gains in terms of women's leadership and of course, strengthen the network and the voices of women from across Africa to ensure that women can continue and become indeed center and forefront in the implementation of the of these transformative agendas, both at the African level and globally. So we felt that we needed to to bring some energy but also some movement and uh, momentum in terms of enhancing women's leadership, particularly in the area of government um, and, and um, political participation, and also in the area of peace and security, which are key to the uh, Agenda 2063 of the African Union. 
But then we also know that elements such as culture, religion, you know, those have always hindered women's potential in leadership positions, especially in underdeveloped areas. Uh, when we talk about Africa, for example, now, how will this new initiative be implemented in such cases? The issue of culture uh, uh, and tradition, and it, to some extent, and in some countries and regions, part of some countries, uh, also the issue of religion does indeed impede the ability of women from leadership and participation in decision making. And this issue actually came out in the discussions we had last week in New York. And how the network will address this issue is that the network is not going to be only regional, but it will also be national and grassroots focus. So the idea of the network is that it will ensure that it has chapters at both at the national level in every country in Africa, but even within the um, countries also at the grassroots level. So we are already working on a roadmap that can allow us to reach those grassroots levels so that we can begin to mobilize um, um, all partners and all men and all uh, religious leaders and, and patriarchs at that level and ensure that they recognize the relevance of women's leadership. So there will be a lot of work we will be doing also at the grassroots level within this network. And of course, also the issue of child marriages, which is a growing concern in Africa. And uh, we also look at the issue of uh, children dropping out of school. How can we help them to stay in school so that they can grow into positions of leadership in the future? Oh, yes. The issue of uh, child marriage was also one of the issues we identified as barriers for women's leadership. And um, it, it was uh, heartwarming, particularly for UN women, uh, to see that that issue was raised by the women leaders who were in that meeting. Because the UN women, uh, under the leadership of Dr. Kunzi Lambonuka, we had already started to uh, focus on um, ending child marriage in Africa an initiative that our executive director sees as a, a key game-changer in terms of advancing uh, women's leadership in Africa. So indeed, we will be. And we also agreed, as a network, therefore, that child marriage will also constitute one of the priority actions for the network, not only for UN women, but now for the network. And we'll do a lot of advocacy, for implementation of existing laws that should stop child marriage, but also uh, come up with initiatives that can ensure that um, uh, we deal with the patriarchal, religious, and traditional norms that have actually perpetuated child marriage at all levels. And thirdly, to ensure that the girls that have been uh, survivors or that have gone through child marriage are given a second chance in education. All these are actually issues that SGN women were already working on, but the network has also decided to take it up as one of its 
priority issues among many others. Although major developments have taken place in Africa with regards to women in leadership positions, you find that women still lag behind in terms of remuneration parity. Was this uh, discussed at all? The issue of remuneration wasn't discussed in detail or in that particular manner. But what was discussed at the, at the forum in New York was the link between women's leadership in politics and decision-making and policy-making with economic empowerment of women. What came out very clearly from the conversation is that we cannot achieve economic empowerment of women, but also economic security of women if women are not there at the table to, to influence decisions. What was also um, discussed that relates to the issue of remuneration was the role of private sector uh, in everything that we will be growing as a network. So we actually had in, in our midst in New York a representation from the private sector and the discussion around how does the private sector also provide a conducive environment for, for women and also provide services that can allow women to equally benefit from uh, uh, private enterprise. So therefore, the issue of remuneration, as you rightly say, also needs to be tackled if we are to advance women's leadership in Africa. Speaking about the protection of economic empowerment as well as economic security when it comes to women, looking at women farmers, for example, in rural areas, do we have programs that protect these women? The issue of uh, women in uh, farming and women in agriculture will definitely um, uh, be one of the areas we will look into. And of course, as UN women, we have already been working on rural women economic empowerment, focusing particularly on uh, women in agriculture. And one of the initiatives we are doing as UN women currently is to um, ensure that we can provide women with the um, relevant technology to, to make uh, agriculture less cumbersome and less uh, labor-intensive in, uh, for, for women. But also in doing so, we are also um, supporting women to uh, adopt uh, climate resilient forms of agriculture so that they can be able to 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 sustain agricultural activities even in the advent of um, climate change, which could either be drought or, or floods. Thirdly, we are also trying to look at how do we uh, promote women's agency in the agricultural sector, meaning how do we build women's um, uh, leadership, again, linked to, this, to the network objective, uh, to... to make decisions that have to do with farming and agriculture in rural areas. And that has been a lot of work with um, um, agricultural um, uh, organizations, both at the government level but also at the NGO level. But also looking at um, training women on leadership skills and giving them the opportunity to be able to be 
uh, participating in decisions at community level around agricultural activities at community level. So those are some of the things that we feel that the network will help us to expand across Africa. We already know what works as UN Women, but what our challenge is UN Women, and which is where, why we feel the network is going to be so key, is that we know what needs to be done. We have evidence of what change can happen once you know what to do. But we are so small on the ground, and therefore we need a network and, and a, a movement of uh, women leaders from across Africa that can take these lessons and implement them in all their countries and in all communities. So that area, again, hopefully we will be looking at it as one of the uh, uh, priority actions for the network as we develop the roadmap right now. The other issue that is really plaguing society uh, recently, especially here in South Africa, is violence against women. We know that violence against women remains widespread and underreported in many parts of Africa, not just in South Africa. Do we have initiatives in combating crime and violence against women? Well, violence against women remains one of the most... um, violations of women's rights that the world has ever seen. And unfortunately, uh, also, violence against women is in Africa so much rooted in um, some acceptable cultural and traditional practices in some societies and communities. For that reason, as UN women, we have already been working on... um, uh, supporting governments to come up with um, uh, to come up with laws or repeal existing laws, for example, family laws, or even um, coming up with um, specific laws on um, ending violence against women, but also laws that focus on how to deal with perpetrators of violence against women. And you are very right that. Um, even with all that work we've been doing at the policy level, there is a lot that goes unreported. There is um, still a lot of um, um, issues around violence against women, not only in South Africa, but in the whole of Africa. And of course globally, because it is a global problem. It, is a, it has a global threat. It's not only an Africa problem. Therefore, violence against women uh, will be addressed in its various forms, but for the network, as we are discussing the network now, what the uh, forum, the high-level forum we had here in New York focused on was uh, violence against women in political in elections, which again, as you know, uh, 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 impedes the ability of women to even go into politics, to even think of um, running in, um, in, in elections. So we are going to, we have already developed a UN Women tool uh, and uh, training on how to um, uh, reduce or to end violence against women in politics uh, or in elections. So we hope that with that tool we can be able to, to do more to reduce uh, that phenomenon. But however, of course, we all know that violence against women goes beyond the uh, political violence, but it, it also goes to domestic violence, 
sexual violence and some of those issues that in South Africa I know are a key uh, challenge and uh, we do hope we can, um, we can move on implementation. Just to end on this one, one of the things we agreed at the end of last week was to look at countries that have laws on ending violence against women, for example, and as a network, support each other, not only within one country, but across the whole of Africa, to do advocacy for implementation. In, uh, for example, that advocacy will happen through what we are calling solidarity missions. So, for example, we might have a huge group of women from all over Africa coming to South Africa to look at, you already have to know, and say, Look, talk to the government, talk to all the stakeholders and say the law exists. How come it's not being implemented anymore? And also to, of course, talk to the women and the men themselves and say, uh, we do have this law which says one, two, three, four. How come it's not being respected at community level and at family level and at individual level? And do a lot of awareness raising and advocacy for implementation. And we are hoping that the network will be the voice of, of the voiceless and, and, and consolidate a movement for action in implementation of existing laws. That's the idea. And now, how do you keep track? You have all the plans that are going to be put in place. How do you keep track that they are actually being implemented? Yeah, we are going to, to have a very small... Secretariat. We have also agreed as a team, as a as a uh, the women who are here, that we don't want to start something that is too big and too difficult to sustain. So we will have a small team, uh, most likely to be based in Addis Ababa, that will be responsible for monitoring, reporting, and accountability for actions of the network. So it is that small team that will, of course at two levels. One is the, the small secretariat that we will establish um, hopefully in a December, but this is still work in progress. But we also have um, a task team of the network, which will have representation from the five sub-regions of Africa, whereby we will have representation from all stakeholders that are members of the network. That will be the founding board for the network. So we are currently working on the terms of reference of that task team. And you are right, we will need to include within the terms of reference of that task team uh, accountability mechanisms that will ensure that whatever we agree, whatever is on our roadmap, is implemented, is reported. So that's one uh, um, element of the accountability. The second is we also agree that it's already working closely on the results of the forum to do a lot more of documenting women's stories and sharing them and ensuring that the the method the positive messages of change to inspire and inform action all over Africa. And we are also going to do a newsletter and we are currently working on the newsletter that is uh, the first uh, launching newsletter which will inform uh, regular newsletters that will be produced by the network to inform people of what we are doing, to make the whole world know what we are doing, and to ensure that 
we are holding ourselves as well to account in addition to holding other stakeholders, including government, civil society, private sector, accountable for women's leadership. We are currently now working on um, the procedures for joining, and one of the uh, inspiring things for me personally was the fact that women were very clear in that room, with more than 130 women in that room, that this network will only survive if we, as network members, are willing to also contribute to its sustainability. So there will be a, some kind of joining team. Even in, uh, in New York, when we were here, women actually started to contribute money. They put money together and we raised more than $2,000 at the end of this forum. And as a show of commitment that the women had, and that was Miss Leti Chiwara, a UN woman representative to Ethiopia, African Union and Economic Commission for Africa, speaking to me about the African Women Leaders Network. And that brings me up to time. This has been your Thursday's edition of Catholic Viewer, a program produced and presented by Sheila Birch for Radio Veritas. Should you wish to get in touch with me, feel free to send me an email, Shayla at radioveritas.co.za. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back again tomorrow evening at the same time. Until then, God bless you and ciao, ciao. I'm Sheila Birch.